Are you happy? Magic Seeds takes a good look at everyday challenges and gives solid advice on how to navigate through them, be it relationships, career, parenting, or just not feeling happy inside. I'm Dr. Adam Grise. And I'm Laura Grise. Please join us weekly to discuss everyday situations that seem to be getting in the way of feeling happy and peaceful. We'll provide magic seeds and a reliable roadmap for you to follow to stay on a healthy path for your life. Welcome back to Magic Seeds. Today, Laura, tell us what we're talking about. Today, we are talking about finding self-love. The art of self-love is not an easy path to follow. So from the time we were born and then to the age of seven, our brains are operating at theta waves. And these theta waves, we've talked about this before in other podcasts, but they're extremely slow vibrations. And they're similar to when you're in you know, hypnosis or you're in your creative state and tapping into your imagination. And during these massively impressionable years, we downloaded interactions, behaviors, and most importantly, subconscious behaviors from our caregivers, our parents, and people who are surrounding us. And our experiences. All of our experiences, everything. So this means if our caregivers and our social circle weren't 100% healthy, positive, and open-hearted, and living consciously, and honestly, <laughs> who is? then they didn't completely and utterly and truly and madly and deeply and passionately and soulfully love themselves, right? So they're not passing that on to us. So our tiny little innocent subconscious minds are taking in really people's baggage and their issues. Mm -hmm. We don't even know it. We all put our crap on our kids is basically what you're saying. Right. So it's such an impressionable age. I mean, it's why when we're raising our kids, we're trying not to put our fears. I remember in the very beginning, I massively fear spiders. And so the whole time I'd see a spider with the babies, I'm like, oh, look at that precious little insect, whatever. But now the girls know the truth because, you know, the truth comes out every once in a while and I scream and run away or whatever it is. So that's a really, really impressionable age. And we're not supposed to put all that stuff, you know, just limiting thoughts and anything that might make a child subconscious. And and that's even the stuff we can control, right? Because lo and behold, we encounter, you know, hopefully if if a child is sheltered Mm -hmm. appropriately, they're not dealing with massive traumas or situations that are overwhelming. But I mean, invariably, even if you have great parents, I mean, first of all, even if you have great parents, they can't be there every second of the day. They can't understand everything a child is thinking. And they can't be perfect every single second of the day. Right. They're humans. Right. And then let alone if you have an accident or you are embarrassed or, you know, children encounter all sorts of situations that maybe they internalize. So the parent doesn't even know. And then they develop a certain way of holding themselves that is not in self-love. Exactly. So, I mean, even research says that 70% of the programs that are downloaded by the age of seven is self-sabotaging and limiting. That's scary. That's nuts. It is. Today, we dare everybody to delete our self-sabotaging and limiting and loveless programs and let's step into a massive true love and deep desire for ourselves. Today, we have a guest and- Awesome guest. Adam, I'll let you introduce Kristen here. First of all, we met Kirsten, Kristen. We met Kristen. I mean, what year was that? And Kristen, just for the record, Adam has a sister-in-law by the name of Kirsten, who is repeatedly (laughs) named. I was going to say we've known each other since 2000. 
2006. Six. Six or seven. Wow. Yeah, five. Well, <laughs> longer because I've known you longer than that, right? That's right. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So, whoa. Well, okay. Okay. well Kristen. Uh, Kristen Beale is with us today. Um, she's an author and illustrator from Richmond, Virginia at this point. Well, from and back. And in 2005, when Kristen uh, was 14 years old, she was in a jet ski accident. And it actually ended up killing a friend and left Kristen paralyzed from the waist down. And her long list of injuries made her doctors think that she wouldn't survive the accident, much less be able to function in the world. And if she did, they said that she wouldn't feel or move below her mid-torso ever again. Spoiler alert, not only did Kristen survive, but she's living the happiest life. It's truly an inspiration to everyone who knows about her and comes across what she offers. Since her accident, she's published four books, completed 16 marathons, competed at the national level for wheelchair fencing, married the love of her life, and literally 18 days ago, she just welcomed her first <laughs> child into the world. Superwoman. Um, with tons of hard work, Kristen's regained a list of feeling and movement below her injury level, and she hasn't given up on walking again. So this is why we feel like Kristen is the perfect guest for talking about self-love. Absolutely. I was actually just thinking, how old were you when I met you? What year was your injury? 2005. 2005. So I think I did meet you, Laura, in 2006, and then I met Adam in 2008 or nine. Yeah, or right. Something. That sounds um, about right. But I was 15 years old, I believe, and yeah. now I'm 32. A baby. So we've been oh my gosh. <laughs> Christine, you're 32. That's oh wild. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is crazy. Like I just had a baby and I'm like, am I old enough for this? I feel like I'm still like 17 years old. But you are. Yeah, you <laughs> are. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that's wild. So, well, Kristen, see, now I'm going to be doing that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have you talk a little bit. Well, obviously you put out four books, but is it the most recent book that you put out about your life? Is that your most recent mm -hmm. one? The most recent book is a fiction that's like a crazy, like talking, talking objects. And stuff. it's most recent book called Wide Awake is kind of trying new genre in fiction. So my first, um, which is very fun. It's a really good read. It's really entertaining. You should all read it. <laughs> but my first book, Greater Things, and my third book, A Million Sons, are the two nonfictions about like kind of Greater Things starts with my accident. Yes. And you kind of learn the struggle and the drama of it. And then it's me kind of coming out of, crawling out of the hole, if we can get metaphorical, kind of like relearning how to do things and coming to California to rehabilitate and get, get my feeling and movement back and kind of that whole mindset of to bring it to relevant. It's the self-love of accepting myself as a paralyzed person at age 14 when all my friends are like, you know, going to prom and learning how to drive. I'm learning how to pull my underwear and brush my teeth and go off like off roading in my wheelchair. So it's very much like rerouting my mind toward meeting myself where I'm at, as opposed to comparing myself to my peers and saying, you know, I should be getting ready for prom, but instead I'm, you know, scooting around on the floor because I can't transfer up to my wheelchair, you know. Right. Um, so it's just accepting myself where I'm at instead of comparing myself to everyone else. That was the biggest lesson that took me. Um, a little too long to learn and then learning how to um, kind of modify, adapt my vision of myself and my acceptance of myself as I grew up. Because I, when I first got hurt, which you read about this in Greater Things, 
um, it was very much my whole life is working out. My whole life is regaining sensation and movement in my lower body. And toward like not 24 hours a day, but you know, as long as I'm awake is as long as I am working toward it. And I was able to do that because I was in high school and I could take the time for myself. But then life happened, you know, but it changed from like, all right, I want to fit in with my peers. I want to go to college. I want to, you know, do adaptive sports. I want to get married and have a baby. Like all, all these stages of my life that kind of push my dream, push my vision for myself mm-hmm. kind of to the side. So I'm kind of trying to juggle like, all right, I want to do this with my life. I want to, you know, graduate from college, but I also want to, you know, work out all the time and get this feeling and sensation back. So I never really lost the dream or the vision I had of rehabilitation, but I've just kind of added stuff onto it. And so that was a very much like rerouting and readapting and all that stuff and learning how to have, give myself grace and have patience and say, okay, I want to spend all my whole day working out, but I also have to go to school. And I also right. have to like make a friend, <laughs> like fit in with my peers. Right. So it's kind of loving myself enough to give myself the grace and and just kind of working with myself and loving myself at every stage that I am. And that's the hardest part. Honestly, the hardest part about having a disability and just my life is like having patience for myself and grace and just surrounding myself with the right kind of people and the right kind of things to support me, but also love me and, and make me feel like I'm doing something right. <laughs> so I have a question for you. So in the beginning, Mm -hmm. I know, I know for a fact, and just for years and years, just personal experience, without even knowing it, the self-limiting, the self-sabotaging thoughts, you know, I mean, they started from right from the beginning of an injury, right when a physician tells you you can't do something, right? I mean, you're putting your whole life in their hands and everything they say, you're hanging on every word and they tell you, Mm -hmm. you can't do something or you never will be able to do something. So that's very hard to delete, in a sense, those thoughts. So I know, you know, that you had massive self-limiting, self-sabotaging thoughts. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the self-limiting and self-sabotaging thoughts you have today, or rather how you've gotten through those, you know, talk us through, work us through how you've gotten through those thoughts when you have those thoughts in a day. I still have those thoughts. I just realized about two weeks ago, just major self-limiting thoughts. And the second I realized it, my whole body started working differently. I mean, it's unbelievable. So do you still have, I would imagine you still have some self-limiting thoughts. I mean, you know, none of us are completely enlightened. And if you do, could you talk to us about how you work through that or what you do to work through that? So in the beginning, the doctor's telling me, you can't do that. You'll never be able to do that walk or feel or whatever. That was a source of motivation for me, mostly because I had my parents there saying, the doctors are telling you this, but, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to go to California and we're going to like prove them wrong. And I just had people, right, as much as the doctors were telling me, no, I had people, my parents telling me, yes, you can. So I chose to listen to my parents and I chose to fight through it and fight what they were doing. But then... So that was two, that was when I was fifteen, and then I went to college when I was eighteen. When I was eighteen, and college was really first time that my disability kind of like smacked me in the face, and I kind of realized my limitations. 
just because I was surrounded by people who had known me before my accident and after and kind of loved me through the whole thing. And in college, I was meeting people from a wheelchair. They didn't know me in any other situation. And I just had to make all new friends and get this whole, you know, this whole life um, in a wheelchair. So like, that's when I kind of realized, like, my limitations. And it's not as easy as it was in high school. And I kind of got into my head a little bit about the things that I couldn't do. And, you know, how did I get through that? I cried a lot. I made friends. I joined um, joined a church group and found people that were actually nice to me. And then I kind of like discovered myself again. But then I graduate college and I'm back in the same situation. I'm thrown into the adult world where I have to kind of create my own happiness. And so that's what took me about a year to do, but creating my own happiness, surrounding myself with people and things that make me happy and bring out like the Christian in me that I feel like kind of goes into a hole when I'm not comfortable. And so I find my happiness through that. There's sports, there's people, through church, et cetera. And then, so I'm in that, I get married, I meet this man, I marry him and he's, and I'm, surround, I'm surrounded by people who um, don't really let me get into the sadness, limitation, I can't do this mindset, which mm-hmm. I don't try to get into, but I fall into sometimes when I'm just having a bad day, whatever. So the people around me are what bring me out of that situation and don't let me get into that. But then to throw another curveball in there, I'm a mom and and I gave birth a little over two weeks ago and I kind of, those feelings kind of come back because I realize the things that I can't do. Like if my baby is seven pounds right now, but when he gets you know, 15 pounds, it's going to be hard to lift him because I don't have the core strength and, you know, mm-hmm. things are higher than I need them to be because I'm in a wheelchair. So I'm kind of getting back into the, you know, it's bad, but I'm kind of getting back into the theme of like, I can't do this. And it's a bummer. My disability is holding me back. And I have gotten upset from that um, more than a couple of times since I gave birth, even only two weeks. So that's kind of how I get into it. And then how I get out of it is just my husband, the support thing you know, we're going to figure this out. We're going to find a way around it. And like, you know, just kind of giving me the encouragement of like, it looks a little bit different for you, but it's not impossible. And just having people around me that don't really settle for, you can't do it. Just like, we're just going to find a way around it. Or, you know, I'm just going to help you. It's no big deal. Like I can just help you. But that's a big thing is having a support system. And that's kind of the way that I've gotten through. You're also not the type of person that shies away from challenge. You never have been. And well, just being a mom and a new mom is an enormous challenge, let alone the challenges that you're starting to face right now. You know, and that's one of the things when you're talking about self-love and finding the love for yourself, one of the things is to not run away, you know, to not look the other way at the pain and the discomfort and the challenges. And so you're going right towards it if you're meeting your challenges and you do, you do with flying colors, then that's one of the things you're going to see that you can do more than you think you can. And then that's going to be super empowering. And, you know, it makes it fun too, right? If life was easy, it would be boring, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be really easy and it would be great, but it would also be kind of boring. (laughs) I agree. I think. Kristen, one of the major things that you kind of touch upon, at least from my end of it, thinking of always, how do we find that wholeness within so we can find self-love and we can find an outlet to even, well, first, so we can even know who we really are and find an outlet for that expression is that sometimes 
when your mind goes one place and it makes a doom and gloom scenario versus other times when you find an inner peace, we realize that it's just the mindset. It's just that kind of fixation point and there's nothing absolute about it. And you kind of seem to have this really, I don't know if it's an innate thing or it's something you've learned along the way, but where you realize when you're stuck in those moments, but which we all get caught in those moments where our head just takes over and it paints a picture of our life. And then it tries to convince us that this is the reality. This is the reality. That's the real reality. And anything else is like wearing rose colored glasses, but you kind of realize, huh, okay, I'm stuck in this again. I got caught on like a different channel on the radio station almost. And then you have the support system that's like, oh no, we're going to help you refine the right station. And once you're there, life, your reality is completely different. And for some reason, you seem to know that we're not defined by the station we're tuned into. And it frees you up to go back and forth because that's how it really looks. Everyone in their mind wants to get to this place where I'm always happy now. And now my life's amazing. I figured out the perspective. But in truth, it's a constant back and forth and a training. And it's almost like, you know, you have an 18 day old child, but you've been raising your mind for years now. And just like a child, just because you've been raising your child, you know, child becomes a teenager. It's not like now they're all amazing. Then sometimes it gets even harder. So the fact that you are able to do this back and forth and have a support system, I'm just so impressed. I'm so impressed with Mm -hmm. you. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Let me tell you why, how I can do it is that my freshman year of college, it was, that was, I always say this, that was like one of the worst years of my life because I had no friends and I was going home every weekend, just like my parents were close and I love hanging out with them, but also like, cause I don't want to be in my dorm alone. And it was just like the sad, very lonely year. And so at the end of the year, freshman year of college, I said, when I go back for sophomore year, like, I'm not doing that again. I'm like, I wasn't myself. I didn't have like, I feel like that year was just dark. Like I didn't have my personality because I wasn't around people and I'm a very outgoing person, but I spent most of that year in my dorm room because, you know, I'm not trying to go to parties and do the drinking college things because I'm also going to California in the middle of the year and in the summertime and my head was kind of somewhere else, not in the college, the college mindset. So I kind of let myself like warm up and just not be who I was. And so I said, sophomore year, and for the rest of my life, I'm never doing that again, because I did not like that version of myself. I wasn't happy. I'm not going to do that. So I draw on that memory of that experience of that year, very often, because I'm like, I need these things. I figured out what I need in my life to be happy. And of course, I don't like to not be happy. No one does. But I kind of figured out if I want to be happy, I need to do this. I need to be around these people. I need to be active, I need to work out, I need to, you know, eat this food, whatever it is. And so those are the things that I just prioritize because, you know, however many things, other things I have in my life, my husband, my son, my, you know, all this other stuff, I need to take care of myself in the way so I can be happy, so I can show up for everyone else. And so I've kind of like boiled it down to that, to that recipe and I stick to it. And that's how I know that if I do these things and if I have these things, then I can love myself and I can be fully myself, and I can show up how I need to. That's so powerful. And it is. And even with that recipe, right? Like you miraculously, if you will, found that recipe because it eludes the vast majority of people out there, right? Myself included. It's a constant work to do that. That even within that recipe, it's saying that our minds still, when we're not on our A game, you know, if we're down, 
our mind still messes with us. And it doesn't mean just because we found that recipe that we're never going to deal with the dark thoughts or go through the dark moments. And that doesn't mean that we're not still on the right course. I think that's just a really right. huge lesson there. So that's a thing, you know, I keep on thinking about our minds and I think about the girls in school, you know, in these, in elementary school, you do have bullies, which I think is absolutely wild, but you know, at that young of an age, mm -hmm. but I look at our minds as the bully, right? And we wouldn't allow our children to hang out with the bully. We tell them, walk away from the bully, you know, don't associate with them. You're better than them. Our minds are like a bully and, you know, they tell us that we're not good enough. We're not, you know, we can't do this. We can't do that. So then what people do is they listen to that bully and then they apply, you know, numbing effects to their lives like alcohol and drugs and sugar, you know, food. Right. And Thinking like now that it's been said, I can't avoid it. Like it's in right. me. I as need opposed to feel good. Right. So they fall into that whole trap. Instead of allowing those thoughts to come in and then letting them float away, right? And then replacing it with the, the positive, you know, how we talked about the other day, Jack Hanley, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. But the thing is, what you're trained to do, at least in meditation, is to tap into those alpha theta waves. So just when you're waking up or just when you're about to fall asleep, when you're meditating, you're giving yourself those positive thoughts because those are the ones that are slipping into your subconscious and we're operating on our subconscious level. So our autopilot response, 88% of our days, mm. 88. So if we are slipping those positive thoughts into our subconscious, then 88% of the day. But there's a, it's like there's a time to plant seeds, there's right? There's a time. Like when Kristen was mm -hmm. talking about- the ideal time, right. When Kristen was talking about that she did a lot of crying, right? Like you can't plant those seeds. You can't say those thoughts when you're in an emotional turmoil, yeah. state of turmoil. Like once, allow yourself to have the feels, right? To have to get out all that so-called negativity or just charge. Then you swoop in, and like you know, like Kristen, like you're saying, you had this support system that was there for these positive seeds to plant for your life, and you were even like, I don't like this. I want to be positive. I want to to provide and support myself and I want to be there for others, that cool rhythm of knowing when to release the crap right. and then when to swoop in an order of operations that again, it's just, that's the roadmap. It's the nugget. Mm -hmm. It's a golden nugget. It really is. Yeah, it was a lot of like, I don't want to, I don't want to be happy. So like, how do I not be unhappy? I don't want to be unhappy. So I don't, how do I not be unhappy? It was just, it was very basic thinking to me. But then it turned into like, you know, something more and the recipe and all this stuff. But it's, it started off with a very basic, like, how do I get out of this? Like, it's not fun. I'm not enjoying the weekends. Like, you know. How do I show so, up? So it's, right? it's, it's very, it starts very basic and then it gets, you know, over time, of course, because it's been so long since college, it kind of got to like fermented in. Well, you made a comment before that you like, and it took me way too long to kind of figure it out, which <sighs> made me just smile because people literally spend their entire lives <laughs> trying to figure that out. But the hard part is that transition period, right, Kristen, when it's like you've let go of all the pain, not all of it, but like you've gone through waves of it and, you know, it still comes in, in waves for the rest of our lives type of thing. But you've gotten through enough of it that you are not necessarily in pain, but you don't quite know who you are anymore. How do you get through that period? Tell us about that period for you. That was very much of 
finding my happiness. That's another theme of my life. Because when I got hurt, again, paralyzed from the waist and from the mid torso down, I lost sports and sports have always been sports and moving my body and being active have always been like a theme in my life, a big part. And when I got hurt, when I was paralyzed, I said, I think the adaptive sports weren't as big back then. So I said, okay, I've, I've lost everything except for working out. So I made working out my sport and I became obsessed with it and I did it all the time. You know, when I was in California, it was four hours a day, five days a week yeah. for, you know, a month and a half at a time. And then when I got home too. So when I got home, and I didn't have the workout that I had and I had to get back to school and, you know, life as I didn't want to, but I had to. It was, what can I do to find my happiness? And that was, how can I be active? How can I get back involved in sports? And so I tried adaptive sports and I've tried, I counted the other day, 17 different adaptive sports. And I landed on hand cycling and wheelchair fencing. So that's where I get with the marathons because doing marathons, 16 marathons is like, I'm a lunatic. And what's that? Like, <laughs> who loves to run or to race that much? No one, but I do. I love marathons. I love my hand cycle. So I'm going to do this, you know, so much. And I'm going to put this, not like make it my life, but I'm going to, it, it makes me happy. So I'm going to do it all the time. I'm going to do it a lot. So if I've done 16 and then wheelchair fencing because it's just fun. It's just fencing. It's just poking people's swords. It's fun. So I, <laughs> I kind of realized what, what it is that I need to do to be happy. And that was one of the things. And I forgot your question, but I'm going to keep, keep talking for this, but which is sports to me. And so it's, it's kind of, Finding my happiness, I, I remember it again. So, and then it's also surrounding myself with people who are like-minded, who are supportive. So I got really involved in church, and that's where I met my husband. And then, you know, my dog, just my dog, just things that things that make me happy. And I make, I put the center in my life because I know that's what I need. Yes. And but yes. it's just trying, trying out all the different things that I can get my hands on until I find something that I love. So let me ask you something. The very first question I ask my clients is, do you love yourself? And none of them answer yes. <laughs> <laughs> but as I work with them, you know, they begin to, you know, a few months later, a few months later, they begin to say, well, I love myself a little bit more than I did before, you know, and they start, you know, evolving into finding the love for themselves. So let me ask mm -hmm. you. Do you love yourself? And that's awesome, the work that you do. And I can confidently say yes, completely, because I have accepted myself where I am. And when life, my body, you know, my disability throws me some curveballs, which it constantly does, I've learned to love myself enough to give myself the grace to accommodate it and work with it and figure it out. So I can say yes, I do love myself very much. Right now, my dad laughs at me. He says, "You love yourself more than anyone else." You have pictures of yourself in your wallet and like framed in your house. I mean, which is true, but that's only with a lot of work and a lot of self-realization, self-reflection, and again, a lot of trying, trying new things, trying everything um, to find a place that I'm happy. Because I can love myself when I'm not happy, but it's a lot easier to love myself when I'm happy. And you know, when I'm Absolutely. coming from a good place, it's easier to love myself and be patient and have grace. So yes, I can say yes, finally, I do. I mean, that's, it's a beautiful answer. It's a beautiful, just how you come about it is just so natural, you know, and the path that you've gone is a path that people search for their entire lives. Truly. 
I remember when, you know, when Awakenings was there in San Diego, when you came out and you worked with us out there, it was our mission statement. You know, it was kind of like our, our battle cry was, hey, we'll meet you where you're at physically, but unless you love yourself, unless you're working on that level, this isn't going to end well. I mean, Laura, right. you've recovered more than, you know, 99.9% .9 of people that have been paralyzed. And I just two weeks myself. ago, you weren't. <laughs> And yeah. then all of a sudden, like stuff comes back, even when you are able to find that self-love. Yeah. So in, in that sense, I mean, Kristen, you exemplify what Awakenings back in San Diego, Awakenings now in Raleigh, everything that we're about and try to put out there for people and try to bring that awareness that loving ourselves is the first, first order of business, even before gaining physical function, before gaining anything in the physical world, external world. You're such a good poster child for that. It's um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I want to just take you around. <laughs> like here, what an just... honor to to be the awakening poster child. Um, it's very much. I think I think the mentally healing is way like hands down way harder than um, or takes way more work than the physical healing. I mean, I say that I'm not like physical as quote unquote healed, but I feel like I'm mentally there because you know you can make me happy, happy walk or not. But either way, I'm going to be happy. I'm happy in a wheelchair. I'm happy with if I'm walking. I'm happy no matter what happens. And that's the part that took, you know, I'm 17 years out of my disability. And I feel like I've achieved that, but it took a long time. And that's the most important part. So that's the part I appreciate the most focus on that. That's the biggest thing. So that's why I can say that I feel like I am, you know, healed is a heavy word, but I'm healed physically, um, mentally at least. Our little Kristen Beal. She's all grown I'm up. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. I love you so much. <laughs> it all started with you guys. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's so many people, right? I mean, Kristen, you're obviously out there now and you're putting your word out there and you meet mm -hmm. a lot of people and you can see the human condition in front of you, right? And it's not like, oh, well, I'm paralyzed from the waist down, so... That's worse than something else or better than something else. It's all relative. But how many people do you come across that would, you know, quote unquote, seemingly have more function physically and yet they're miserable or what they're focused on, what they're fixated on, attached to, identify with? It's so easy to make ourselves miserable. It's not like you have to take away anything that big. And most mm -hmm. people carry that around day in and day out and their mind doesn't let them feel that it's possible to be happy until they, they meet you. <laughs> until they meet you. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, you're just so inspiring. I just flaming with my smile. I said that I'm like the happiest person that I know. And uh, I'm like the happiest person that anyone will ever meet because I'm just, I'm just so there. And that's, that sounds like a, a humble brag, but like, I'm lad. just, and just because I've done so much work on my mental and physical too that I'm just so happy with whatever happens because I have also the perspective of when I was out in California, I was in like the disabled community, more or less. And I'm working out four hours a day, five days a week, you know, to regain lower body. And then the person right next to me on the mat is doing the same thing to, you know, move their fingers. And it's like, I can right. do that with a no brainer. And so it, it kind of puts it all in perspective of, you know, in my opinion, I'm disabled. Yes. And I know it can get better and it can get worse, but I'm like, where I am mentally and physically, I feel like I had the best of the best that I could possibly get 
because I see somebody who's walking around and feeling everything, just completely able-bodied person with no injury is so unhappy and is like complaining or is, you know, just has a bad mentality or bad perspective on things. And it's like, I am, I feel like I'm leaps to bounds in front of that person because I have this disability, which in my opinion, just makes me unique and gives me a cool story. And, but I am mentally healed and I'm happy and I'm, you know, one of the happiest people that you'll ever meet because mm-hmm. I've done so much work to get there. So it's just how much work you're willing to put into it and the first to like putting everything in perspective, you know, and it's constant that, work. That makes all the difference. I think, you know, today the topic is finding self-love. And I think the biggest thing that I'm taking away from today speaking to you is not even just how important perspective is, like you're saying, but it's that it's not even about like the mental game is, is just a game, but it's more, am I willing to show up for myself and to understand that the mind can go in a million different directions and we get to choose how we want to use our mind that whatever, like Laura, you're talking about the bully before our mind can give us a bullying thought. We don't have to accept it. We can hear it. It could upset us when we hear it but we don't have to define ourselves by what comes at us from someone else or even within our own head. And to your point, Kristen, that that's a perspective shift where you're like, I'm not going to define myself the way my mind is trying to define myself because I can't be happy that way. And to be empowered Mm -hmm. to know that you have that power to choose how you look at yourself and what you choose to make your focal point for happiness, which as far as I'm concerned, seems like you're concerned, Laura's concerned, is you want to love yourself because then you can be happy and then you see what is around you and what you're able to do and you're not able to do and what you can work with. And your goal then as a parent to yourself is find an outlet. And if you're an athlete, you go through 17 different sports. And if you're an Mm -hmm. artist, you figure out how to create, you know, like whatever it is that if you want to find self-love, A, you first of all, you can't do it if there's still a lot of pain inside where it's not, it's not like you can't do it, but the order of operations would say, go cry for two years, go scream for two years, get out the angst, get out the residual from the mind that is reeling from what it's taking stock in your life. And then when you find that silence after that, start planting the seeds to figure out what you need to do to express your true nature. And thank you so much for telling us your story because it's just Mm -hmm. perfection. It is. And so in the end now, I mean, we love you to death and we would talk to you every week, I think. But where can we, where can people find and follow you? How do do we get in touch with you? How do people see your story, hear your story and ride off your vibes? Yes, this is the fun part. My website is kristenbeal.com and there you can find videos and comics and articles and my books. Also, I publish a, a, um, sorry, a comic on Instagram every week at Greater Things Comics is the handle. You can also sign up for that in the newsletter on my website. It's really accessible on Instagram. And I also publish two articles a month for Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation on their blog. So you can find that if you follow many of my social media. But my website and my Instagram, if you want to really do go the extra mile, you can follow my Instagram, Kristen Gupta, my new married name on Instagram. But you can get me all those places. Way to go, Bealey. Way to go. <laughs> it's not Beal anymore. It's Gupta. Way to go, Beal Gupta. I'm, I still respond to Christian Beal. <laughs> it's fine. It's Beal is my middle name so that I can still claim it. You always will. <laughs> you always will. Okay. Well, we love you very much. And thank you so much for being on the show today. 
Thank you for having me. Great talking to you and connecting with you again. Thank you. You too. Awesome, Kristen. Have a good one. Thank you. All right. And until next week, nothing but love to all of you. And we'll see you then.